Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen. We are thrilled to join you on 610 ESPN, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, it's the middle of the summer, and it's really not very quiet right now. You can keep talking. I'm eating my Cracker Jacks. I'm trying to find out. Are you really playing with Cracker Jacks? I'm trying to find out what the prize is. You couldn't do this before we went on there? Yeah, it's only a tattoo again. Um, there's a ton of stuff going on. I mean, the the story. Thank you for paying attention. I know. To the intro. Uh, with with regard to the Chase Utley story, <laughs> I didn't even me, introduce that yet. If oh you well, then go ahead. If I, no, so I, while Jeff was opening his Cracker Jack tattoo that he didn't <laughs> want at the beginning of the show, uh, if you've missed it, Chase Utley has a press conference called for this afternoon. Uh, he's going to announce that he's retiring at the end of the season. Now that our listeners have some context, Jeff, go ahead and offer your opinion. It's it, it'll be a sad day when he retires, but I think it's probably time. Um, I'm glad he's announcing it now so that when he comes here next week that the, the fans can honor him. And I hope that Do you the think Dodgers that's why he's announcing it now. I don't know why. So th- I don't know what other reason there would be. Um, so it, it makes sense that that's what he's doing, although he could have made the announcement while he was here. Um, I know I'll, I'll want to go buy a ticket to see him play. I just hope I mean, the Dodgers are independent, but I mean, they're going to be in a race. So. They can't just put him in for the sake of putting him in, even though it is, you know, all-star break time. I hope the Dodgers put him in. At least, I would assume the first game, maybe they'll release the lineups early. You know, something to let the fans... The Phillies are hoping they release the lineups early yeah. so that they can <laughs> sell a couple extra tickets for the game. Um, it's it's the end of an era with with these players starting yeah. to, to retire. You and I were talking about... You know, you have Worth who retired now, and and Jimmy's retired, and you, you've got Chooch out of, and so who's left? So as far as I know, I Hamels. think it's Hamels. No, it wasn't, ha- and Hap was on that team, right? That's right, Hap still yeah. pitching. Are those the only two guys left from from the two thousand eighteen? Maybe like still a playing? young player, or bench player, but in terms of the core of the team, I think that that's sort of where it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a it's an interesting time. Actually, there's a special on this weekend about the 2008 championship team on Sunday night that I was planning to watch. It's hard to believe it's been 10 years. Right? Yeah. It, it, it really does seem like and yesterday. And it's been 10 long years of baseball in this city. But, I, but you know, if you remember when it was time to break up the team, they obviously Ruben waited too long to do it. But when they did it, you know, people sat there and, and weren't particularly fans were saying it's been too long, get out of here, the whole bit. And now, and people were right when they said, you know what, when, as time goes on, you'll see. And now we're at the point where time has passed, and now we can just rem- remember this team fondly. And, and I mean, start to see some of the players that they ended up getting as they moved these players on. Yeah, as they're moving especially the from system. that Hamels trade. But, I mean, you have, you have Alfaro from the Hamels trade. You had Jake Thompson from that trade. You had Eikhoff from that trade. You had Nick Williams from that trade. For Rollins, you had Eflin. I mean, you got good players from the guys. Even though they waited too long, they got good players in return. And we saw some of those players at Double A at the All Star Game this week. We'll talk a little bit more about that in our yeah, I hope. But show. but but I did want to say there was one guy that the Phillies did trade, and it was obviously after two thousand eight. That it appears we should be going. Phew, thank goodness we got rid of him when we did. Oh, did you see what Ken, Ken Giles. Giles did? So yeah, Ken Giles decides to manager. curse out A.J. Hinch, who's like one of the nicest guys in baseball. And guess where he ended up the next AAA. day? Triple <laughs> A. Uh, look, you can't, you can't do that. You just can't do that. But it, you know, at, And at the time, there was so much talk and controversy over, do you trade Ken Giles, your potential future closer? Mm-hmm. And they did, and turns out that it worked out pretty well for them. We're doing just fine. 
yeah, we're doing all right. Um, and the Astros won despite him, not not because of him. Did you have fun at the Double A All Star Game? We'll talk more about it in the next segment. I had a blast. I I, I thought it was really well done. I think the Trenton Thunder deserve a big round of applause for how well they handled the situation and, and everything that they did there. Um, but more the, more the fact that you and I had fun, I think, was seeing the players have fun. They did, and um, you know, we'll have a couple interviews with uh, with some players later on the show. We did get to ask Tim Tebow a question at his media availability, which is kind of a circus, Jeff. Just a tad bit, huh? There, there's a lot so of reporters who so were so at that game just to see Tim Tebow. Yeah, and then a lot of them just left after after Tim Tebow did his, you know, five, ten minute thing. And You know, what I came away from with Tim Tebow, besides he the fact... He changed your mind. He did. I mean, you had said, hey, why don't we go over and, and, and talk to Tim Tebow? And, and my response was, ah, I don't... No interest. He, he, I've never been a fan one way or the other. It just he just didn't matter. And and as I'm watching the the interview, we're listening to other people talk to him. I'm realizing this poor guy gets the same questions everywhere he goes, and they are just dull. I mean, at, at some point you got to find something else to talk to him about, other than you know how does his faith play into into this sport and. What's it been like switching from football to baseball? And, and or what's it like to drive on a bus for six or eight hours? Yeah. Or, you know, all the regular. And that's why I think we'll have a comment that he gave on the question that you asked, um, which he reacted to. He really got engaged in when you asked him about sports specialization, which is a topic that we talk about in, on our show. Yeah. And I just I found him to be very genuine. He, he came across mm -hmm. very well. Um, you're also excited to be going to the Major League All-Star Game. You're just spending your summer at baseball games. Yeah, well, that's um, the summer is work and uh, baseball, and now it's And now combined. baseball is work. Yeah, right. Uh, so so I, it'll be fun to see Aaron Nola. It looks like the Phillies are moving Nola up a day. They are. He's going to so pitch Saturday that he can pitch. so that he so can pitch in the game. Now the question is, is if Scherzer doesn't pitch. Does Nola start? Does Nola start, yeah. You would think that they would want to pitch Scherzer as the home pitcher in his own park. Yeah, but the starter. Nationals are in a pennant race, too. So if, if Scherzer can only go Sunday, it, the way that the rule works is if you pitch on Sunday, you are not allowed to pitch in the All-Star game, regardless of whether you want to or not. Look, he's the first homegrown pitcher to be named an All-Star since Cole Hamels in 2012 for the Phillies. Yep. Um, and, and he's, I mean, his first half winning percentage is the highest of any Phillies starting pitcher with a minimum of 15 starts. You're out four or fewer hits in his 11 of his last 16 games. He's just been dominant. Yeah, middle of the road pitcher, huh? He's he's. Remember, remember, they they drafted him and said, well, he's already peaked. He's a college player. He'll be a middle of the rotation guy or back of the rotation guy. Well, the guy's worked his tail off, and he's now one of the top four or five pitchers in the National League. Are you going to try and go down the night before and see Reese Hoskins in the home run derby? No. How do you feel about Reese Hoskins playing in the home run derby? I don't want it. Look, I love I love Reese Hoskins, but but I don't. I you know there's something to that about and the struggles after. Yes, there really is. And he's finally he's playing better after the injury. Mm -hmm. he's, he's in his groove and he's playing well. And and by the way, so can you name the last two Phillies to play in the home run to win the home run derby? To win it? Yeah. No. Ryan no. Howard. Yeah. And Bobby Abreu. That's and right, if Bobby Abreu. And, and if then you he remember, the shelf. Bobby Abreu couldn't hit the broadside of a barn if it was thrown at him after that. And, uh, and it just, there seems to be something to it. It, it. It's just you're somehow, because of the number of times you're swinging in a short period of time, that you are screwing up your muscle memory. And I just don't want that to happen. They will head into the weekend before the All-Star game 
with a 52, 51 wins right 52 now? 52 and 40. 52 and 40. Mm-hmm. Last year, uh, through 90 games, they were 30 and 60. Just a sm- small change. Just a small. tad bit yeah. better. They're 30 and 16 at home. Best so record in the National League. Yes. Home record. They didn't get their 50th win last season until August 31st. I mean, just think about how long of a summer that was last year. Yeah, it was a, it was a long summer. And and, and so and, th- and this year it's going to be fun. It, it is. Um, the Phillies. It already is. The Phillies ranked first in the majors with 392 on base percentage from their cleanup spot. Carlos Santana's walking all over the place. You still have questions about mm-hmm. him? I I just don't look. I still think Breeze Hoskins belongs at first base. I, I, you're just not going to be able to convince me otherwise. You I think just Vinny belongs in the bullpen. You think Reese I do, but I do believe Vinny belongs Reese in the belongs bull, at first. bullpen. I believe Reese belongs at first base, and I just—I mean, Carlos Santana seems like a, a good clubhouse guy. He's obviously patient because he walks a ton. But do you really need your cleanup hitter to be walking? Well, that's—I I mean, you kind of want him to hit the ball out or all right. Play. Well, look, I'm going to try a segue here. Yeah. So we're just talking about walking a lot. So how about how about if we see if we can add Ollie to this? Well, Ollie will be on in a second. So why oh. don't you introduce who our guest is going to be so that our listeners know what's up? So uh, we are going to have on, if he's not already on, Ollie Horowitz. And Ollie is the author of the book, An American Caddy in St. Andrews. Ollie, are you there? I am. How's it going, Jeff? Thanks for joining us. Thank are you kidding? Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Jason here with Jeff. When he approached me about having you on, he couldn't stop telling me all the different stories of the things that you've done. So you've given Jeff like constant entertainment for at least the last week. Just I'm glad following to hear it. the places <laughs> that you've gone. You, you want you have my life, <laughs> the, the life that I want. I still want my just so it's clear, Jan and Alex. I still want you in it, but <laughs> but but I want to do all the things that you're doing. <laughs> so, well, the next the next ones I do, you can be my uh, my travel buddy on that. I'll be your caddy. <laughs> that I'll, sounds good. Ollie, be careful what you offer. Okay, <laughs> Jeff. Jeff will call you back and he'll take you up on that. Can you tell us how this all happened? I I mean. I've watched the Open for years on TV to hear you were a caddy there. Tell our listeners a little bit about the life of Ollie getting to this point. Sure. So I grew up in New York City. Um, Actually just played Beth Page Black about uh, two hours ago. Came straight from the course to do the interview. And, uh, See, I that's not on. nice. Wait, 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 wait. That, <laughs> see, that's not nice. That's just rubbing our noses in it. We're, we're... Well, the course wasn't nice to me. It oh, kicked okay. my butt. That, that makes us <laughs> feel better about it. The greens yeah. are awesome, by the way. Um, so, yeah, I grew up in the city, and I grew up playing all the public golf courses in, in uh, the Bronx and Staten Island and Brooklyn and Queens. There's, like, I don't know, like eight public courses in New York. And I started playing when I was nine, and I just I loved it. And uh, we had this weird connection to St. Andrews, though, um, for a long time. My mom's English, and uh, my great uncle lived in St. Andrews, and not just lived there. He was a uh, he was kind of a local politician there uh, for like 50 years in in St. Andrews. So we always had this this weird total insider connection there. So we started going when I was 12, maybe to visit St. Andrews and and to start playing golf there. And and I always knew Uncle Ken as this eccentric old English hilarious uh, great uncle with this funny giggle and a Jack Russell Terrier named Bonnie um, and I loved it and but then uh, I actually went to school there for my freshman year of college as a gap year um, and uh, I played on the golf team there and I just loved it and I started caddying that summer uh, after the freshman year at St. Andrews and that summer led to uh, as you know many 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 more summers of caddying there. 
So what's the what's it like to be an American golfer over at St. Andrews? I mean, you have kind of a unique story, even though you've you've had this connection. I mean, I, I dream of playing at that course. And, and I mean, I grew up working on the grounds crew at a local golf course and you get to be on that beauty <laughs> out there as a <laughs> caddy. Um, what's been the best experience for you as a caddy so far? I mean, obviously, the people you've you've caddied with athletes and non-athletes. I mean, you could probably tell stories the rest of the show. <laughs> Well, it's great. I mean, it's, it's, I started caddying there, uh, when I was 18, just finished freshman year. Um, I was a 1.8 handicap then, so I played okay. And I, I knew the course well, cause we played, played okay. Play, played okay. Jeff yeah. and I would kill for a 1.8 <laughs> handicap. Well, I probably shot a hundred today, so that's, that's not happening right I'd now. I'd kill for that yeah. too. Right <laughs> but I, you know, I showed up, but I thought, oh, you know, I, I caddied when I was 12, 13, 14, this will be easy to, to come in here at the, the old course caddy shack in St. Andrews and just waltz in. And, oh, my God, was that absolutely not the case because the, the old Scottish guys just hated me because I was a student and I was 18. I was American. I talked a lot. And, uh, and guess what? I was the scum of the caddy earth <laughs> that, that first summer. They just hated me. And uh, the, fir- the first day I'm caddying for in this group of uh, American women, and I was a, a shadow caddy. I wasn't even a trainee caddy then, I was a shadow. So what you do is you follow an older caddy around the course for this first round, and he's sort of your mentor. And so I thought this was gonna go great, and uh, I you know, was happily chatting to the ladies by the first tee, and then as we're walking up, the, the old caddy uh, grabs me aside and motioned to his mouth and said, see, see what I'm pointing to? Shut it. <laughs> <laughs> And that was day one of my caddy career. <laughs> Actually, since the then, we've party. become very good friends, me and, uh, me and Kenny. But that was how it went for the first couple months. So it just, every day I was making the, the mistakes of the inner caddy code that no, no one teaches you. You're just thrown to the wolves when you start. Well, so I'm, I'm going to be a little selfish here. My, sure. My, my son is a, is a caddy right now. <laughs> oh, uh, awesome. Uh, he's 16. So what, what are these inner code taboo things Jeff that you're not supposed to do? By the way, Jeff sure. hates unwritten rules. It doesn't matter if it's baseball <laughs> so, or... And by the way, he doesn't listen to the show, so this is going to be great because I'm going to tell him to do all the things that you're <laughs> saying not to do. Right. No, that's how it goes. It's, it's the hazing. <laughs> um, I would say, you know, number one is you have to respect the seniority. The guys who have been there forever, and again, I've caddied at St. Andrews, I've caddied for 11 summers. That's nothing over there. There's guys that have caddied for 40 years, for 50 kidding? years over there. Wow. So when you're out there, you, you defer to the older guys. You know, you defer to them. If you, you don't act showy, you don't question other caddy out on the course. Even if he gave a wrong uh, yardage off the tee, you, you don't question it. You don't act like a big shot. And uh, guess what? You also, you also have to uh, pull a lot of the pins. That's another inner caddy pull thing. Pull the pin. you got to tend the pins, okay? If, you're, if, you, if you get a reputation as not grabbing the pins, that's really bad in the Ooh. shack. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, you need like to take this back. Like, they'll actually say, like, what happened? Did you get hit with pins when you were a kid? What the <laughs> hell? Jeff, you need to take this back and make sure that Alex is prepared for what he That's has right. to do. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, you've had, along with athletes, you've had some famous non-athletes that you've caddied for. I mean, I saw Larry David, Bon Jovi, Huey Lewis. <laughs> what's, what's, the, what's the best person that you've been with? Or uh, that may be like choosing between what's your favorite no, most, most fun. <laughs> what's, what's the most fun you've had with non-athletes out there? And, and by the way, we have a lot of slang on the golf course. And uh, if you hit a putt and it comes up way short, that's a Bon Jovi halfway there. Oh. Yeah, we got, we got a lot of them. So you um, you've got but, them all uh, out there. Yeah, well, we have this really cool thing at the end of the season called the Dunhill. And it's coming up in October. It's the equivalent of AT&T Pebble Beach, but for the U.K., 
So it's a Carnoustie Old Course in Kings Barnes, and it's a pro-am celebrity. Is, that's, where the, of, that's where the open is, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so we'll, we can talk about that later because I've I've caddied at Carnoustie in the Dunhill. Oh, we will. We got questions. Don't worry. Four, <laughs> five, six times now. God, that's a scary course. Um, <laughs> that's the scariest of the three by far. But uh, but so many cool guys come and play there. So through the Dunhill, I've had let's see, we had Michael Douglas in our group. We had Andy Garcia, Tico Torres, who's the drummer for Bon Jovi, um, and then you get put with so many pros. So we had Lee Westwood, Martin Keimer. Uh, Roy McElroy. We had Dustin Johnson a couple years ago. That was pretty cool. Nice. He, he killed it. <laughs> he can drive. He can drive it far. <laughs> he on that crushed course. it. Uh, poor because I caddy for Huey Lewis every year in that, and he's um, Huey's a wonderful golfer. He's Huey Lewis of of the news. As but you, you guys had an issue know. with him with a bunker, right? Oh yeah. Oh, there's such a great moment. <laughs> I that read was the, the quote. 2009. <laughs> yeah. One, point, Dun, point out all championship. His, yeah. He he couldn't get out, and then the bunker is so deep that no one in the crowd could see what he was doing in there, so he finally just threw the ball out to be oh. funny. And guess what? It goes in, and everyone thought he held it out. It was hilarious. It was so funny. What did you write down on the card? I, I, that was pre-Oliver. That was, uh, that was a different caddy for Huey. That was back in 09. What did that caddy write down on the card? Pro- probably uh, I'll never forget that moment. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. What's but it? it's great, and the Dunhill is a really, it's a really fun event because the pros are having fun there, the celebrities are great, and it's, it's a fun way to end the season because you are, you are inside the ropes. You're walking alongside the pros, talking to Ernie Els, talking to, to Rory, and uh, you're there. And a lot, of the, a lot of the caddies guys are living, in a sense, they're living the life of their dreams because they all wanted to be pros, like me. Uh, I did as well when we were kids, but in a, in a sense, this is the next best thing because they're getting to make golf their lives and hanging with all the pros and stuff. It's, that's why, it's just that's why we do a sports radio show because we're not going exactly. to play sports, so we just talk about it and then go to games. Hey, speak for yourself. <laughs> so so uh, with regard to – there's one guy that you caddied for who's one of my favorites, Larry David. Oh, my God. What, 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 now, does he actually act like he does on his show? Well, I've got great news for you. He's exactly like he is in the show, except he's a really nice guy. <laughs> but all of the neuroses are there. All of the nervousness and paranoia is there. Um, he's a 15 handicap, but he gets really nervous in matches. And I think I played it cool for like nine holes. And then I was like, hey, Larry, I know every single line to Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> so you, you know, can still Jewish be kid a... from New York City. It was the best five hours of my entire life. So you, you're still a fan as you go through this. Like it's, for you, it's like, wow, I'm out here with people who I actually watch. And it's, it's something that's, that's exciting to you, it seems like, in your voice. Well, that's a good point. I mean, it, what's really interesting is you get to meet these people, but it's not just meeting them, right? Like you're not just shaking their hand. These guys are relying on you for five hours on a course with 30-mile-an-hour winds gusting to 50 and pop bunkers bigger than, like, the first floor of a house sometimes and rough and, you know, and it's raining and it's cold and your shower doesn't have hot water. It's like they rely on you. And so when Bill Clinton comes and plays the, the old course and, and my friend Kevin O'Donnell is caddying for him, 
Kevin didn't just meet a president of the United States. Like, he literally did battle with him. I, just, <laughs> I think that's so cool. And, and everyone comes to the old court. You're literally the in the bunker with the president at that point. Yeah. <laughs> did he, did it's, he, t- it's did the he mecca toss one out of the bunker? Comes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pulled a Huey Lewis there. Does he have a foot wedge? So I have another question. Jeff, sure. Jeff told me about a golf course in Australia. And I want to hear about this longest golf course that you've played on. I want to play. Oh it. yeah, I want to play this. It golf course. sounds so cool. So you guys got to do a live show from Nullarbor Links from that golf course. That sounds. So here, fine here's to the me. deal with that. Here's the deal with that. It's this is so much fun. It's called Nullarbor Links. It is the longest golf course in the world because every hole is in a different town. Now, it takes five days to play because it's about 100 miles from every green to the next tee box. That's a big golf course. See, it's, it's good. It's right by the through way. the Australian outback. So you're literally driving through the, de- you know, through the desert, through, uh, you know, through kangaroo-infested, like, roads. Where we, I hit and killed a wombat by accident on the second night of <laughs> no. driving, which was terrifying. Oh, no. Is that, I don't have confirmation it died. I just I think I heard it very badly. By the way, but you, did, it was you did a better job explaining what it is than Jeff did because when he explained it to me, I thought that literally it was just a really long golf course, and I was like, well, how many shots do you and have? He's like, how, how many how many strokes how many does it strokes take to go a hundred kilometers? <laughs> it's five days. Like I don't understand. <laughs> so how did this come about? This was truckers that they could go from town to town and exactly. And so the Nullarbor is a incredibly long road that stretches through the outback, and it's basically just truckers. And so there was a humongously high rate of accidents on the road because it's just you have one stretch, which is the longest straightaway in all of Australia. <laughs> just There's no turn for like eight hours or whatever. So people were falling asleep at the wheel and getting an accident. So to sort of create a diversion and to stop the guys from, you know, just driving all night, they would have uh, they set up this golf course. And apparently the first year the golf course came into uh, existence, it slashed accidents along the Nullarbor in half. Wow. Golf saves so, lives. So yeah. So you're <laughs> That's playing slogan. in yeah. some of the craziest environments I've ever played golf in. You're playing uh, just like it, it is rough and tumble. There's one, uh, there's one hole that goes through a firing range, shooting range. There's another hole that goes across an airplane runway. That sounds like both could be rather dangerous. Right? Yeah, it's very north by northwest. <laughs> you're like, you got a plane like landing as you putt. I mean, yeah. you don't need to tell the audience to be quiet if you got a jet engine over your head. But, so. It, so, it's crazy. So I, it was I, so much fun. And I was with one of my best friends, Miles Ashton, who actually uh, we can talk about later was my, uh, my travel buddy in Nepal. But Miles and I played the golf course, and uh, Miles is kind of a beginning golfer. So I gave him uh, – we decided to have a contest, and I gave him 30 shots on the front nine. And I'd made all them up and was beating him after the front nine, so I gave him 50 more on the back nine. And then Miles started getting really, really good, and he beat me. And I think I shot 150, and he shot like 145, and he beat me. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So let's let's get to Nepal. Because like, yeah. the way that you and I uh, caught up was, was I had seen a 60-minute story on a golfer in Nepal named Pratima. And I had reached out to see about her. And you responded to me. And so can you tell me a, a little bit about, in our audience, a little bit about who Pratima is and how you got involved? Sure. So I was in Nepal two years ago uh, with, with Miles and with our friend Vlad. And we were there first to climb to Everest Base Camp. But, but I was also writing a Golf Digest article 
Um, actually, this one was for Lynx Magazine about all the golf courses in Nepal because there's six courses in Nepal, 700 golfers. It's Himalayan golf, and uh, the courses are fantastic. So, so we're at the oldest course, Royal Nepal Golf Club. It's 100 years old as of last year. And so everybody at this course is telling us the same thing. They're like, you have to meet this girl, Pratima. And we're like, uh, okay. So, so I meet Pratima. She comes up to meet us. At this point, she's uh, 16 years old. She's the best female golfer in Nepal, number one, and lives in a shed on the fourth hole of Royal Nepal Golf Club. So literally, she lives in the maintenance shed. So her parents are, are essentially laborers on the course, both work on the golf course. They, they don't make a lot of money. Uh, she, she grew up in the shed, and it's just off the third green by the fourth tee. And so she came and did the interview with us, and, and it was wonderful, and, and she wore you know, a, a nice golf shirt. I find out later that was the nicer of the two golf shirts that she owned. Amazing. And so I, I just think, oh, my God, this is, this is just ridiculous that the number one female golfer in Nepal is living in a shed. What a, what, what a crazy just – I don't even know where you would start with that, but I just said I want to – tell people about her because this is amazing. So, you know, I, I, I've now caddied in St. Andrews for 11 summers. It's how I get to know people. It's how I'm, you know, comfortable with people on a golf course. And I thought, you know what, let's play golf right now. And I'm going to caddy for you, Pratima, and let's just go play nine holes. And, and I want to hear about what's up. And so I took the bag and she said, she teed off on one and we just went and it was, I've done a lot of caddy rounds. That was my favorite caddy round of my entire life. It was just wonderful. Like Vlad, Miles were following. I was caddying for Pratima, and people were watching from outside. Now, the course runs right alongside the, the, the ring road, and a lot of people look in and are seeing Pratima playing, which is very strange in Nepal for a woman to be playing golf. It's, it's very rare. And to see an American guy carrying her bag. So people were, were like, stopping and looking. And I don't know, guys. It was just uh, it was a very special uh, two hours. And where did she get her golf clubs? So that's a great point. She was discovered by a pro at Royal Nepal at age 11. And uh, RNGC, Royal Nepal Golf Club, gave, gave her clubs. And the Nepal Golf Association saw that she was getting good. And so they gave her lessons. Her coach, Sachin Batari, is like the sweetest guy ever. He's been donating his lessons for free this entire time. And she got good, like really fast. She started winning tournaments. She's won like 35 golf tournaments. So, guys, you go into the shed. The shed is, by the way, it's smaller than most people's kitchens, right? Like, there's essentially 20% of the shed is for her and her mom and dad, and 80% of the shed are for lawnmowers. It's where all the equipment's kept. Oh, goodness. So, right. So, in this little shed, it's packed with, guess what, trophies that she's won. Wow. <laughs> it's just everywhere wow. it's trophies. So. I mean, I could I could listen to you tell stories about her all day, but I have so many other <laughs> questions I want to get to you before we get to the open. What I hear you've uh, you've teed off from some unique locations. What's the highest place you've ever teed off from? Sure. Well, the, the highest place was at Everest Base Camp, and uh, that was seventeen thousand six hundred feet. That when you taught and, the uh, surface, I'd how love to say that too? I I crushed the ball, but I absolutely did not. I could barely tee it up. I was so tired, and uh, you know dealing with altitude sickness did you find I this, it i hit no well guess what i hit this really crappy low line drive and it went about 120 yards into a crevasse and i was trying to i was trying to collect it you know because i brought the ball all the way up with my driver from from the the bottom and my uh 
our guide Gelzin, our Sherpa guide, said, if you go into the crevasse, you will not come back out. <laughs> That's when you don't chase yeah. the ball and right. you <laughs> drop. And I heard you taught the Sherpas how to play a little bit, too. You know, when I was going up there, I, uh, I just had this, this golf club in my backpack, and it was sticking up, and, and it was drawing a lot of stares from everybody. People were like, who the hell is this idiot? Or, or also, what is that? What is that? <laughs> it was a great conversation starter everywhere. And I was teaching, uh, you know, some Sherpa how to play golf. So we, we ran into these assistant uh, monks or the apprentice monks at about 13,000 feet who are all about 11 years old. And uh, I gave them a, a little golf lesson at like 13,000 feet. So that was fun. You should have made them carry your bags. <laughs> but I do, I do want to... Uh, I do want to mention with Pratima that uh, it's pretty amazing. A lot of cool stuff's happened, and ESPN did this big documentary on her that is now available to watch. It's called A Mountain to Climb. Okay. And uh, she, the next step now, I think, is she might be coming to the U.S. for college. How exciting is that for you to see? Oh, my. It's, it's, well, selfishly, it just makes me feel really good every time Pratima does something, you know, uh, that makes me proud. It's just... It's, it's super cool. I mean, she came over last year to, uh, to live in California for a month and train, train with this wonderful pro, Don Parsons, who, again, donated all his time for free, and she got really good. She won a, a couple tournaments in California, and uh, we've got this fundraiser we've been doing for her at teampratima.com, T-E-A-M-P-R-A-T-I-M-A, Team Pratima. And the next step, guys, is this really could happen. She might be coming to the U.S. for college next year. So yeah. it's very exciting. Now, has she, has she played in tournaments on the LPGA Tour? Uh, not yet. Um, here's what I would say. Her ceiling is incredibly high. Um, I don't know if the LPGA is her story. We'll, we'll see. Um, I think she's good enough. Um, but there's a long road to go, and the first step is you've got to think if she's at a Division One college playing college golf somewhere warm like California or Arizona or something – She's going to get so good. So let's, let's see. You know, the, the journey for Pratima is just beginning. By the way, speaking of the LPGA, uh, we had uh, somebody you might know on a couple of weeks ago, Paula Kramer. Oh, my God. <laughs> we, we How heard cool you is had, that? We heard you had fun at her birthday. <laughs> well, I mean, I had fun. She probably didn't. I, uh, <laughs> I bought her a tequila shot for her uh, 21st birthday at the Dunvegan. <laughs> and it got roars from the crowd, from all the adults, but she, was not, uh, she wasn't so into it. Yeah, we, we had I, I did do a tequila shot with her. That was very fun. We had on her a few weeks ago when she was playing at the LPGA in South Jersey. Uh, and oh, so great. She was great. She, she was a lot of fun to talk to. Uh, your book, obviously, is An American Caddy in St. Andrews, so we'd be remiss if we don't ask you about the Open Championship before we let you go. What sets Carnoussie apart? You said it's probably the most difficult of the three courses. What is it that makes it so difficult besides the uh, weather? That's a great, that's a great question. It's... It's called Carnasty. That's Carnasty. the nickname. Okay. And we have a rivalry between all the, all the caddy shacks, like St. Andrews, Carnoustie, et cetera. And apparently, as the, the, the story goes, if American golfers are ever playing at Carnoustie and they're, like, brutally overwhelmed with the course and they ask their caddies, like, man, when did the easy holes start? <laughs> the caddies say, when you get to St. Andrews. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but Carnoustie's a beast. All right, here, a couple, couple things. Every single tee shot, and it, this applies to the Dunhill as well for the amateur tees. Every tee shot, with the exception of probably the first hole, there are runouts to bunkers. Now, that's not always the case. So you have to be so incredibly vigilant with your yardages and your lines off the tee. Because if you let, you know, if you let your focus go for one tee shot, 
you're in a bunker and they're pop bunkers. You should just carry a beach chair if you're caddying for me because we'd spend all day in the sand. <laughs> they're more they're more at St Andrews. There's 126 bunkers in St Andrews, but my the ones goodness. the ones at Carnoustie are just as scary. That's a lot of places to lose my golf ball. And there's, you know, it's funny because you, you're, you're so close to the water. You don't actually see um, the water from the course ever, but there's a lot of uh, what we call burns, which are little streams. And they, they seem to run throughout the course a lot. The 16th hole, oh, my God, it's the hardest par three I've ever seen. It's like you're hitting – guys will be hitting driver if they're into the wind sometimes. It's like a 270, 260 par Wait, three. A driver on a wind. par three? Yeah. Oh, my God, it's crazy. 17 and 18 are beasts. Um I've asked a lot of tour caddies who I meet in the Dunhill, like which course, not even just in the Dunhill, but which course keeps you up at night before tournaments. And they, all of them say Carnoustie. So it's just, it's like the tee shots that run onto these pop bunkers so easily. And the approach shots, almost every approach shot, you're just on edge. Like it's, it's visually very intimidating the entire time. So it's going to be a great test next week. Who's going to win? I'm going to completely watch this tournament differently now next week. Yeah. Oh, good. Oh, cool. Well, you know, I, I, love, I love Ricky's chances next week, Ricky Fowler. I mean, that's not a very controversial opinion since he shot 64 on the opening day. But, you know, Ricky loves it over in Scotland. He loves, he loves the Scottish Open. Um, I met him on the old course a couple summers ago when he was just playing. Uh, he let his caddy play, and he instead pushed his own cart, which I thought was really cool. Um, but I'm going Ricky next week. I think it's I think it's his time. Well, we will be watching and we'll be following you because it's a fascinating story. Uh, maybe we'll get to have you back on sometime. We really appreciate the time you gave well, us. Well, hold on, Jason. Everything. You can have me and Ollie back on after we do. <laughs> that's very generous of yeah, you to offer right. yourself to come back with him after he caddies for we you. We really do appreciate Ollie, it. Ollie, you'll have to let me know if Jess sends an email uh, without telling me <laughs> after the show ends. But we really appreciate you coming on. Best of luck with the book and everything else. Thank you for your time. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Take care. Take it easy. Jeff, I, I could have talked to him the rest of the show. Yep. I just I didn't want to get off there. That was a lot of fun. Good get there. Let's go to break. Oh, and we got when, some baseball to when talk we come when we get back, back. We've got baseball to talk about. Stick with us. Are you looking for a lifeline? Verizon New Jersey Shares Communication Lifeline is a statewide nonprofit that provides assistance to individuals and families living in New Jersey, those who are in need of temporary help in paying their communication and energy bills. Want to know how to apply? All you need to do is call Verizon New Jersey Shares at one 337 3339 or visit on the web at www.newjerseyshares.org. It's quick and easy to sign up, but remember, you must be a Verizon residential landline customer to apply for eligible programs. That's Verizon New Jersey Shares, keeping the lines of communication open for you and your family. Taking you into the weekend with the latest news in the world of sports. With the biggest names on and off the field. It's The Heart of Sports each and every Friday at 4 p.m. on 610 ESPN with former players, reporters, and commentators like Adam Schefter, John Runyon, Keith Jones, Trey Thomas, and Doug Glanville. Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen cover the agony and ecstasy of fandom while weaving in conversations about the impact of sports on society. That's The Heart of Sports, Fridays at 4 p.m. Welcome back to the High Hopes Philly Minor League Rundown on 610 ESPN. I'm Jason Springer here in studio with Jeff Cohen. Jeff, Wednesday night we were not in studio. We were at Trenton. We were out in Trenton, and we were watching the All-Stars. We were, and I have never – I've been to all, an All-Star game, minor league All-Star game, never covered one. And so that was a different experience 
getting to see what the players were like and how and much, how much they, joy there how is much they the were game? just enjoying yeah. themselves and you know I was saying to you I, I was never the autograph guy so to watch the line the, the, the lines, lines of autographs to get yeah, all, yeah for to everybody get, who's, who's listening at home that they try to visualize all around the stadium they have tables set up lines you the, everywhere you have lines of people going down the aisles of the stadium to have all these guys sign autographs can I tell you the good thing that I found out though what was that while they were all in line for autographs i went to the lack of line at the restaurant and got some food you did so i i handled it that way uh-huh you got your chicken steak um we were or down there steak. um we we talked to some reading fightings we'll play that soon two of which hit home runs during the game by the way zach green and jan hernandez hit and home runs. Da- david grion uh won the home run derby yep. the night before mm-hmm. uh it was electric at the ballpark from what we hear so we'll the interview with the fightings in a second but we got the chance, as we said uh, earlier, to talk with Tim Tebow uh, in his press availability. And, Jeff, why don't you tell them where your question came from, and, and let's play his answer for as a some, As somebody who's coached kids, uh, it always frustrates me that parents think that a kid should play the same sport year-round. It's not good for their bodies. I don't think it's good for their minds. And, and Tim Tebow summed up every, all the frustrations I had had for years. So why don't you play Tim, in, in this world of specialization for kids in sports, what would you say to parents who want to specialize their kids as opposed to diversify? I can't stand it. I love that you just asked me that question. I can't stand it. I think that, that kids need to, if they want to, to play as many sports as possible all the time, have fun, don't specialize in something because it's more important to learn how to compete, how to win, how to lose, how to drive, how to push yourself than it is to be able to turn two at 10 years old. Like, learn the, the fundamentals of sports more so than the skills that you just need with sports. Because there's time that you can learn that. But a lot of kids will they'll get burnt out because they play 150 baseball games and they don't do anything else. And so they lose that love and that passion rather than being able to, to learn how to compete. And, you know, I loved it for me when I was going from football to basketball to baseball that other kids might have had a jump in a certain area. But I had a jump because I learned how to adapt back in football season, then adapt into basketball season, then adapt when I picked up a bat again. And and I think that's such a big part of being an athlete and learning how to adjust and 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 also having your body learn to to compete and have different motor patterns and movements where you just you learn to be more of an athlete first than you do just skilled at 10, 11, 12 years of age. I, th- I think what he said said it all. I, I couldn't say it. He any got better. very animated. You mm-hmm. know, he he's good at answering questions in general. He's obviously done this before, but he got very engaged with the question that you had, and you could see that he has a passion about kids enjoying themselves playing. Right. And he's got a lot of knowledge that he can impart on people about it. it I, I'm not used to sort of the circus that uh, surrounds a single athlete. Um, you know, we've gone more when it's been us with the athletes right. in some of these games. So to see that, were you surprised at all by what went on? Uh, we had heard that it was the third time that he was in Trenton in a month, and every time he was there, it was the same thing. It's the same questions. The same people come down from Connecticut and New York and Philadelphia and and so it was nice to see him get to talk about something that, that meant something to him as opposed to the standard questions. The cool thing was he couldn't wait to be done the interview and join his teammates. Yeah. Uh, he ran right out for the picture. They were all stretching. And you know, obviously the media is there and the fans are there to follow him. And he's just doing his best to be another guy on the field. Yeah. Like it's got to be awkward to, to want to be one of the guys, and everybody wants to stop you and make out like you're not one of the guys. Well, yeah, because with the media session, every you can interview any of the other guys one-on-one. With him, it was 
you had this he stands at a podium and there's 30 to 50 people there that are asking throwing questions at him well and we did get the opportunity to interview some of the guys one-on-one -on -one. in fact after they finished stretching we had Zach Green and Jan Hernandez come over. It was fun to see them there, John. The, they, they had a blast. And we started with Zach Green, and you'll see that uh, Jan decided to join us. Jan pops in mid-interview. Here we go. So we're here at the All-Star Game with Zach Green. Zach, what is, what's it like to have this experience this week? Oh, it's been great. I mean, you know, like I've you know told a couple people, these guys are going to play in the big leagues. So it's great to be here, pick their brains, have fun with them, compete against them. Anybody you were excited to see when you found out you were on the team? Um, you know, I just the guys I've competed against, you know, Rogers, he's a tremendous athlete on this team. Um, you know, we play Portland a lot, you know, and Alchemy is kind of near me in the clubhouse, so it's cool to talk to him a little bit. Um, yeah, just the guys that you've competed against to be in the same clubhouse as them is kind of cool. What's it like to uh, come here with three of your other teammates? There's four of you guys here. We, we looked over the starting roster tonight has three Reading Phillies, a third of the lineup. What's that like to you to see? It's great. I mean, when you're in the day in day out of the grind, um, you know you lose sight of you know a couple things. Like one being that baseball's fun, and you know to be here, take a step back and um, enjoy this with your teammates. You know it's a pretty cool experience. So, back in high school, you had a, a pretty famous teammate, huh? Right. Uh, so can you give us a little dirt on him? <laughs> you know what? I don't know if I would if I could, but I honestly can't. I mean, Reese is. Um, you know, he's the same guy he is now as he was in high school. Just a very humble dude um, and, you know, good at baseball as well. So what's it, what's it been like? We've read about your struggles coming back from your Tommy John surgery. Mm -hmm. And it's something you said clicked in the Arizona Fall League. What was it that, that made that change for you? Um, just kind of reps being on the field and playing. You know, you, there's nothing you can do to simulate a real, you know, live game, especially against – you know, high talent, talented athletes. So just being out there every day, playing, um, and coming to the ballpark with the mindset that you're going to work hard and learn, um, I think all that kind of was a snowball effect. Has it sunk in yet that you get to call yourself an all-star now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you said, you know, a couple other times I've, you know, been an all-star. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's cool to be here. A lot of good, really good baseball players. Um, I think that's best part of it. What's it like when you came up with Reese Hoskins and see the success that he's having as you now start to move through the system and realize the success you've hoped for? What's that like for you to see as you try to reunite with him? I saw you had said that uh, you would get on base and he would knock you in. What would it mean to be able to do that again? I mean, it'd be, it'd be pretty special. Um, like I said, Reese is an absolutely great guy. And to watch him power through the minors like he did so fast, um, you know, it might have been a shock for a lot of people, but to me, it really wasn't a surprise, and I couldn't have been happy for him. And all the success he's having now, um, could not be happy for him. Uh, so, what, what are you looking to, looking forward to most with this? I don't know. I mean, it's a Double A All Star game. It's you know, it's an honor to be here. So, I think just kind of the the pregame stuff. It'll be really cool to see everyone out here and getting ready for the game. Looking forward to Bernie Williams warming up in the background yeah. over there. I know, Jan, have you talked to Bernie yet? Jo no, no, yeah, so, I want to. So yeah. John Hernandez is here with us, too. Bernie's over there warming up for his uh, national anthem performance. Other, uh, We were asking, Zach, what's it like for you guys to be here together to be able to experience this as teammates? Um, wow, this is, a, this is a blast for us. I mean, with the, this bunch of players, a good player, a future MLB players, you know, I feel like great. 
Vigia, Green, Garcia, and Grillon that won yesterday the, the, the Horn Derby. You know, enjoy the moment. That's it. What was that like to see your boy win the home run derby out there last night? I heard it was a fun night here. It was great. I mean, they were yelling at him in Spanish, and I wish I knew what they were saying. <laughs> but uh, it was awesome. I mean, that guy, you know, there's he does something every day that, you know, the whole team just gets fired up about, you know, in a positive way. Yeah. Um, so to see him, and he was having fun out there. I don't know if you guys watched it, but he was having a lot of fun, and it was really cool to see that out of him. We, we heard the ballpark was electric last yeah, night. Yeah, it, it was great. So, so on our last visit to uh, Reading, we heard that Davey was the uh, clubhouse DJ. Definitely. So since he's won the Home Run Derby, does he get the honors in here? Uh, he was just playing music just in there. Music oh, yeah, yeah. He was already, he's, already, yeah. he's already on DJ. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, guys, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it, and good luck. Thank, Thank you. you. Jeff, watching them uh, realize that Bernie Williams was warming up on guitar for the national anthem while they were hanging out on the field, they were just like kids. Yeah, well, Jan, Jan clearly wanted to run over there. Yeah, and, he and seemed meet like them. he wanted yeah. his autograph. Uh -huh. Like it was, it was pretty fun for him. And I mean, the smile on those guys' faces to be able to be participating in that with their peers. And and like we said in the interview, you know, you take out the lineup card, and three of the nine starters for the All Star game are Light and Phils. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that's it's a cool experience for them to have together, but as a well, fan, uh, they they were fighting Phils because Zach Green ha was promoted. That's right, right we, after got, we got the him game. while he was there. Yeah, he so moved now right he's on the Iron Pigs. He's a an Iron Pig now. Moved up to Lehigh Valley. Yep. Good good for him for getting to have that experience, and now hopefully he keeps progressing in the system. He's overcome some injuries, and so you'd like to see him succeed. Yeah, he had a Tommy John surgery. He had it really rough. He actually was Reese, if you didn't pick that up from the interview, he was actually Reese Hoskins' teammate in high school. That must have they been a batted, really good team. Batted three and four in the lineup. If they had any type of pitching, they must have played yeah. really well. Um, it was, you know, it's again, in that atmosphere, um, having them talk about what it was like during the home run derby with their with their own guy winning and the crowd going crazy like that was fun you could see that they were into to him being a part of it as well yeah it, it was just it was definitely a good time so uh you know it's second half of the season now teams get back at it we're actually going to head back out to reading this coming weekend yep no so no not this weekend next next weekend, weekend. yeah well not tomorrow yeah not tomorrow the next week next weekend but in the meantime Cornelius Randolph, who we had a chance to talk to last time we were there, has started to pick it up a little bit, and now he's going to – he was the Phillies Minor League Player of the Week last week. And when we talked to him a few weeks ago, it was actually his 21st birthday. So here you go. Catch that interview. We are here at Reading today with the birthday boy, Cornelius Randolph. Happy birthday to you. Thank you. Thank you. Don't worry. We'll have – we are here at Reading today with the birthday boy, Cornelius Randolph. Happy birthday to you. Thank you. Thank you. Don't worry. We'll have Jeff sing later. We won't make him jump out of a cake, though. Uh, so you're here at the ballpark. You just ruined the whole interview. Uh, no, I th I, don't, don't worry. People, have, people are struggling right now. So you're here at the ballpark early on your birthday. What's it like to be able to come to the ballpark every day? We're sitting right by the field looking out at this beautiful patch of grass you get to plow on every day. Yeah. What's it like for you to be able to come here and this is your, your yeah. job? It's a blessing. It's a blessing. A lot of people don't, be, don't get the opportunity really to do this. So it's really a blessing to be able to play a game I love every single day. So you were a first-round draft pick in 2015. What's it like to come in with those additional expectations? Uh, you know, is that pressure on you that you've had to overcome, or is it just something you've gotten used to at this point? Um, 
I've kind of gotten used to it at, to, at this point. I mean, at the beginning of my career, it was kind of added pressure, but now it's just like, go out here and play. What was it like to go straight from high school to the minor leagues? Um, it, was a, it was a big learning curve. I mean, I didn't really get, I didn't really get the college, college arms and stuff that I, that I would see in pro ball. So I mean, um, it, was a, it was a learning curve, but I mean, I just had to mature quicker and. What was the biggest adjustment that you faced, you know, going from playing ball in high school to this regimen of being a professional and it's your job now, you have to do this every day? Um, the biggest, like that, as you say, um, the biggest change would be not going to school. <laughs> like, I mean, that would, that would honestly be the biggest change. Like, I would literally just go to the field every day and go back. To the um, apartment and just do so, every single so day. So where were you when you when you found out you were being drafted? Um, I was in South Carolina, some in South Carolina with my family. And did they call you or or how'd you find out? Were I you watching TV? On, I found out on TV. Yeah. Yeah. I found out when they called my name on TV. That's when I found out. And what was what was what was your reaction when you found like, out you were a first round pick? I was shocked. I was just like, I mean, I would, I heard buzz that I was gonna go like top twenty or whatever. And then when I got picked at ten, I was like. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then the first time I did, my brother tackled me, and I was like, this is really happening. Yeah. And then the whole family just went crazy. Well, hopefully, luckily you didn't get injured. Oh, when no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, he was, just, he, was just, he was excited. My parents were excited. Everybody was just ecstatic. And it, and it, listeners that can't see the smile on your face tells the story of how exciting it was. Oh, it was, it was to great. Be drafted. So, how yeah. long did you have to pack up and, and get to. Uh, Extended spring training. Um, or I, had, they sent you? Um, I had a decent amount of time because I didn't. I didn't really sign like, because I had all the contract stuff worked out and stuff. So I really didn't sign until I think two weeks after, after I actually got drafted. So I had time to kind of, kind of settle in and stuff like that. Did you go to Clearwater right away? I did go to Clearwater. Um, I actually, after I got drafted, I went to Philly, and I signed and I signed. Well, I signed the contract and stuff in Philly, and then after that, after I signed, I went to Clearwater and started GCL. So what was it like when you got down to Clearwater? You don't have school, so you don't have no more exams. Weird. And, 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 but now you're on a structured schedule, right? Yeah, yeah. So what was it like adjusting to ball player as a profession schedule as opposed to ball player after school? Um, it was just a lot more, I would say. It wasn't really harder, I would say. Like, it wasn't like, because base, playing baseball, like playing baseball. But you just do more. Like, you would go out, you would hit early. Then you would do like a fundamental, which should be like, which should be like bunt plays or something like that. Or I do early work, which would be outfield drills, and then I would hit some more, eat lunch, play a game, and then go and hit some more. So it's like it's just a lot more baseball. It wasn't really harder, but it's just more baseball. So. What was it like when they brought you to Philadelphia to sign your contract? Oh, it was you know, unreal. It was unreal. <laughs> unreal. Like, did, did you get to go in the stadium that I, day? I watched. I the- watched. And they they um they brought me to a game. Sat in the box. Um, they actually called my name out during the game. I did a, I did an interview while the game was going on. It was just. Did you sit there and picture yourself in that uniform one day, oh, looking at that field? Yes. Yeah. I picture myself playing playing outfield in that. So it's just like, yeah, one day, when did that happen? <laughs> so they bring you up to Philly. Who was the first player you wanted to meet? First player I wanted to meet was um, Ryan Howard. Who was the first player you got to meet? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I got to meet Utley. Utley was my first guy. Did, you, what, did he say anything to you? He was so, like, amped up. Like, 
I didn't know that that's the type of guy he was, but like he's like high energy. He was like, hey, how are you doing? Yeah. I was like, I'm good. I'm good. He's like, you want to hit? I was like, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I'm having my stuff though. He was like, I got bass, I got cleats, we can go do it. And I was like, wait, this is the same Chase Utley who we can't get to say anything in an interview. Yeah. He was just amped up, like he's ready to go. And I was like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> So did you yeah. get to meet Ryan Howard? I got to meet Ryan Howard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did he give you to, any advice? He told me to stay hungry. Keep, yeah. Just, just work. Just have fun and work. So. What's it like? You're 18. You're at the stadium. You sign your contract. Chase Utley's saying, let's come hit. Now you're hitting with Chase Utley. Do you pitch yourself? Do you just, like, this is really happening? Yeah, uh, it was just like, I actually didn't I actually didn't hit, but he, want, he asked me to come hit and stuff like that, and I was just like, I wanted to hit, but then I was like, there's a lot of other things that went along with that, so I was like, no, I just stay in back and watch and watch y'all do the thing. But um, but yeah, it was more so like that. Yeah, this is really happening. Like, I'm out in the big leagues. I'm on the big league field. I'm talking to big league players. Like, they're watching them hit balls in the second deck and stuff. And it's just like, I right, one day I one day I'll be doing what they're doing. So, who'd you try and pattern yourself after coming up in terms um, of pros that you watched? Robinson Cano. Why? He was just so smooth. Like everything he does is just so smooth. Like he just—it it seems effortless. But I know he's out there playing hard. So it's like that's the guy that I really love watching growing up. What's it been like to go through the different levels of ball here in the organization? You're now at Double A. You're you're hungry, trying to yeah. make your way up. What's that climb been like? You you had all this success growing up you're drafted and now you got to be patient <laughs> yeah. you gotta you gotta get I, the fundamentals that, that, that would be the biggest change i mean it's like you don't everything just doesn't click like, everything's been happening how you want it to happen because it's like in travel ball high school you hit 430 440 you get a pro ball not many guys do that <laughs> i had so, 440 in pro ball <laughs> yeah so like, even my gcl year when i hit 300 it was kind of like like what like what happened like what's going on and now i'm like <clears throat> And then everybody was like, you had a really good year. And I'm like, that's not what I'm used to. So and now it's, now it's just like learning. Now I'm hitting 190 or whatever. And it's like, all right, I kind of know what it's like to struggle kind of now. Because I last two years, like my Lakewood year and my Clearwater year, I struggled at the beginning. So I know that numbers aren't everything. Numbers are going to change. So you just got to keep, keep a good approach every single day. What's the biggest adjustment to double A? I mean, a lot of people th- say that, that this is more of a hitter's league, but I would assume that you're seeing more change-ups and yeah. more off-speed stuff as you get higher in the system, which right. is harder to adjust to. I mean, I would say um, I feel like the reason people say it's a hitter's league is because you get you start finally getting more stuff over the plate. Mm-hmm. You know, not over the plate, but more pitches to hit, I would say. The guys are around the zone more consistently. But at the same time, they can paint that fastball and they can paint that fastball away. So there's two sides of that. It's like the first side is, okay, you get more stuff that you can hit, but the other side is you kind of have to get the pitch that you want to hit because that fastball and you can hit it, but you probably can't do what you want to do with it. Or that fastball away, you can hit it, but you probably aren't going to hit it hard. So, I mean, it's, that's like the two, two-edged sword of that. So. Of all the pitchers you've seen, either on your team or on another team, who's the one that you said, wow, so far? Wow, so far? Um, we face we face Turnbull from the area on the other, like probably a couple weeks back. We actually ended up beating him. But he had good stuff. He was like 97, 98. 
cutting it, thinking it, and like, it was just like, like this, like, this is a good arm. So, I mean, um, Suarez, of course, he throws really like Your teammate, right? Yeah, Suarez. Did you play with Six though? I I played with him a little bit last year. Yeah. He, he's just freakish, like 100, <laughs> nasty slider, throw strikes. You don't, you don't see that. Like, you might see 100, but you don't see him throw strikes consistently. Glad you don't have to hit against that. <laughs> <laughs> I actually faced Dominguez in spring training a couple of times. What He's was that nasty. like? He cuts it, sinks it. Like, he throws, and now he can give a 98. So, it's like, it was tough. He just... Now, he was your teammate, Earl. He was my just teammate. A yeah. a month ago, right? Yeah. And he's in big leagues. So, do you get to get the chance to talk to him now? Um, I haven't talked to him since he got called up, yeah. but um, I talked to him a lot when he was here. Mm-hmm. What's and it like to see somebody who was across the locker room from you last month now doing it on, on the big it's stage? A, it's and a great feeling. It's a great feeling because, I mean, it's like you see the work they put in. You see work that all the work that he's put in, all the, the little small adjustments that he's made. Because, I mean, I played, I played with him last year I and mean, the year before that. So, it's like he, I played with him for a while. So, it's like just to see him in the big leagues is – it's a really good feeling. All right, so so when you get there, what's your, what's the number you want? I'm not I probably won't get it. What is it? Two. Number two. Oh. Yes. <laughs> good luck with that. All right. What number were you in a, as a kid? Number two. I've been number two all my life. Why? Um, birthday. Yeah. June second. Jeter. Ah, oh, there you go. So those two things was like, yeah, number two. That's my number. And what's going to be your walk-up music that first time you go to the play? That I really don't know. I don't know that yet. I um, We're going to come back, and we want to ask you the next time we get to interview you. We, you got to think about that. You're going to make it there. So you're yeah, gonna there think you go. About I that. have an answer. <laughs> and what's the plan for the rest of the day? It's your birth, It's your 21st birthday. My 21st birthday. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you got a ball game tonight? Got a ball game tonight. You going to handle that? Yeah. It's gonna, it's and then we gonna... can't talk about it afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna keep it. I'm gonna keep it PG. So, 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 so one question I, I, or one observation that I've had is we're here. It's now 1:30 in the afternoon. You guys have already been here for a while. I don't think people realize. People think you guys just show up show, to the park an hour show, before think, the game. Right? Can we just show at 5:30, 6 o'clock, right. play so, at seven. No. So, so what's what's the regimen that you go through? Let's say um, tonight's a 6:30 game. 6:30 game. Yeah. Um, it's usually two o'clock dress. I usually get in around one, one twenty, one o'clock around that area. Um, I come in. I usually eat lunch, um, get dressed, go do go foam roll, take care of my body, do my body prep. Um, today I'm actually gonna go. I'm about to go work out after this. Um, after I work out, go in the cage, get my swings and get my swings, um, get my feel of what I really want to do. Like hitting the ball to left center, just feel feeling the barrel. Um, after that, uh, we'll have BP and all that stuff. Um, BP infield probably, and after that, I'll probably hit in the cage some more um, off, the, off the machine. Then it's game time. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work every yeah. single day. Got to put in the work if you want to be all right, be well, a top dog. Yep, got to put in the and work. You know what I learned from this li- this this episode of ours? Sports is fun. That is right. Thank yeah. you so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.